0: The Bible says that you, um, that the man or woman of integrity walks securely. If you're authentic, then you know your kids are going to be more secure. Will they be perfect? No. And we keep thinking that there's somebody out there that might have the perfect family, and I haven't found that yet.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests teach us about caring for our loved ones through all seasons of life. Parenting expert Dr. Jim Burns, along with husband and wife ministry team Dave and Ann Wilson— Up first, Jim Burns is the president of Homeward, an organization that aims to help families succeed. As a father to three grown daughters, Jim has been through every stage of parenting. But when his daughters reached their adult years, Jim and his wife Kathy realized their parenting style needed to evolve with their changing relationship with their children. Jim took what he learned through experience and shares it through his latest book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children.
0: Well, my name is Jim Burns, and I've been married to Kathy for 44 years. We have three daughters, so we've had no hormones or drama in our life. They're all adults now. I am the president of Homeward, and Homeward has four values strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. And that's sort of what we write about and what we talk about. We're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States. And uh, so we keep busy doing that fun stuff. And uh, that's me, parents who have adult children. Are having to kind of relearn how you parent and that their children who are adults and themselves are going through what I call kind of a, a parallel track. And, you know, that parallel track simply means that, you know, it's the first time for the adult child to figure out how to, you know, relate. It's also the first time for the parent. We really had to, you know, kind of relearn that we had a new job description and that our role as a parent had to change. I oftentimes say, you're fired you're fired as a as a day-to-day parent and now your role moves from adult child to adult to adult and it doesn't happen in one day i mean i still have opinions about my my daughters and you know i have a 30 31 and 34 year old and i still have opinions about them but sometimes i just have to hold my mouth shut and that's why we actually even said you know the book is called doing life with your adult children but we say keep your mouth shut keep the welcome mat out and um It's hard to keep your mouth shut, especially if they're making decisions that you're not totally thrilled about. One of the uh, principles that I talk about is unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. So my daughter, Christy, and her husband, Steve, who are incredibly capable people, and they have these two beautiful grandkids of ours. um, I said, hey, Christy, can I give you some advice on this? They were moving from Dana Point, California, where I live and where they lived, to Texas. And it was real stressful, and Steve and her were having a debate on how they were going to do the move and what was cheap. And I said, well, hey, can I give you my opinion? And my daughter looks up at me, and she goes, not now, Dad. And I'm going, wait a minute. In my head, the conversation is, people pay me to give them advice. (laughs) And you, my daughter, are not asking for it. Later on, she kind of circled back around and said, hey, what were were you going to suggest? You know, we're still at a standstill, and it worked out great. But, you know, at that moment, I realized I just need to bite my tongue. And that was so hard to do as a parent. The bottom line in parenting and i've said this if they could be a five-year-old or if they're an adult is not that you raise obedient children but that you raise responsible adults and i think sometimes we as parents haven't negotiated boundaries and expressed our expectations and so in many ways the, one of the key questions is are we enabling our adult child to stay you know under our wing are we helping them launch you know so today we have to become students of the culture and millennials are meandering toward responsibility you know they're meandering toward marriage once they get married they're really serious about their marriages you know at homeward because we're a a family ministry i mean the millennials are like wow i want to raise my kid to do this and i mean it's great i want a marriage that's strong but they have meandered toward that and and the millennials have a different view than a lot of uh, of of their parents um you know they're shaped by technology um they they view tolerance as one of the major traits of a loving person. So you know it is really interesting in terms of the uh, uh, parents engaging with someone who actually has been raised in a very different culture. I mean we yes we were uh, 20 and 21 and 22 and on up, but we were really never their age because they experienced so much different. I think what happens is when um, kids stray, whether it be lifestyle choice, or whether it be faith issues, you know, I think what we do is we still stand by them. And, uh, and we have to understand where they're coming from. And I actually believe that our model is Jesus. I think Jesus constantly, he had some disagreements with people, no doubt. He said it, he was verbal about it, but then he still showed love to people that within his generation, You know, tax collectors shouldn't have been at the party. Uh, The prostitute shouldn't have been, you know, wiping her tears on his feet because that was not happening um, with the other rabbis. I'll just guarantee, as you know. But what Jesus did was he 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 didn't tend to agree with how they live their life, but he did show show love and acceptance. And guess what happened? They that's what what turned them around. I think we misunderstand tough love. Tough love does not mean that you quit talking to your kids, that you ignore your kids or that you shun them because they've made poor choices. Tough love says that you surround them with love and you while you surround them with with love, you don't bail them out. And, you know, you don't dump your anger and frustration on them. There is a tough love statement that says you earned it. So it means the hardest thing is a, for a parent is is to let them if they made some poor choices. Well, they've kind of earned you know the consequences of it. So that's tough love. You're allowing this is ter- and it's so hard. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to let your kids crash or let your kids make these poor choices. But you know I, I've never seen nagging work. Tough love isn't shunning and neglecting them. You know as if oh now that my parents are neglecting me when i am in trouble i'm going to come right back to them and get you know beat up again that isn't going to work you know i think the biggest question they're asking is do you still love me and so somehow you've got to be able to express love even though you don't express um you know in agreement with them so you know one of our daughters uh, has not been as involved in the faith as we would like her to be and yet, you know, she respects us greatly and she goes to church with us when she comes uh, to town and all that kind of stuff. But what we have found is, is you know, periodically we can send her a cool thing or we can send her a, in, in fact, you know, I bought her Jesus Calling uh, a couple of years ago and just said, this is something that I read every day. And, you know, I, I hope this might be meaningful every once in a while. She's not an everydayer like I am, but every once in a while she'll, um, you know, she'll say, hey, that was a, did you read, you know? August 10th because that was really meaningful today and and I'm always surprised cuz I don't see her flexing that muscle but she'll talk about it and I'll think well how amazing that and she's not doing it to try to impress me she's doing it because she really had something that was meaningful i tell people that i have coffee with a woman named sarah young every morning and they kind of look at me like what are you some kind of weirdo but i truly do and in fact if there are, are mornings where i miss it i i pick it back up and um and for me the themes of and everybody's going to have a different theme but the themes of of thankfulness gratitude trust are the themes that jump out at me it's very important to me the the words are important and then i read it on my ipad because i'm too lazy to look up the scripture and on the you know ebook version it has the scripture you know with it and i read that scripture and then i journal and i write many of those scriptures down and i feel like you know Jesus is speaking to me. And I actually honestly forget that it was written by uh, this incredible woman who I've never met or know anything about, but I'm always amazed how many Christian leaders lean on that as well. I, I, I uh, used to have a radio broadcast and I can remember interviewing Kay Warren and we got you know we got talking about you know Jesus calling and she's going, oh my gosh, that's just saved me from you know so many things that um, you know I had in my head. It's remarkable. The beauty of being a grandparent is you really can continue to work on your legacy Kathy and I are so engaged with our grandkids that we've had to go, wow, we don't want to step on any toes here. But if I if any grandparent can be the chief babysitter and influence, more and more, you know, my background is youth ministry. And ki- I would say to kids, How did you how did you grow in your faith? And so many times it was, it was my grandma. It was my grandpa. And a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So I think they find them in the church. I mean, I I really did. I, I actually was not too long ago in a place called Sarasota, Florida. Most of these grandparents who were there didn't have their kids nearby. And I said, the church is the perfect place for you to grandparent some people because there's some people in your church whose parents are somewhere else. And so why couldn't you invest some of your valuable time into the lives of of not only the grandkids, but also in the lives of of these young men and women who are trying to juggle, and they're so busy, and you know, there's you know they're trying to make it work, and they're working these extra jobs, and they live in a beautiful spot, but they really need, you know, somebody to just come up and say, hey, can we watch your kids? And you know what? I said we're going to sign up. So <laughs> it was without the permission of anybody in the church. I said, uh, you know, can we get a yellow pad? And if you're willing to. Uh, you know, babysit for some of the younger generation, would you just put your name down? And then I handed it, you know, the the family ministry person goes, this is amazing. You know, they had like 10 couples who said they'd be willing to. So, you know, that's what you do. You go to the, you know, you find people who will love on your kids if you don't have your kids around. You know what, if I can serve in that way, in a small way, then, you know, how much better it is for them to know that, man, there are grandparents who are pulling for them like crazy. I didn't see the grandparent thing coming as strong as it did for me. It hit me strong. It hit me the day that my daughter as a pregnant um, you know, woman uh, had a big, what she called the re- name reveal. And we were um, sitting at a restaurant right before church, the whole entire family, and she hands this. A children's book to me, and she says, Dad, open it. Oh my gosh, I'm already now kind of tearing up. And it says, For James. And uh, oh, so so of course that's my name. But it, it just, it changed, even then it changed me.
1: Jim's new book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, is available from your favorite book retailer today. Stay tuned for our next interview with authors and church planters, Dave and Ann Wilson, after a brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Want a daily reminder that we can have hope, peace, and joy each day in Jesus? Now it's as easy as opening an email. The Jesus Calling Daily Email brings you a thought from the Jesus Calling family of devotionals every day. Brighten up your inbox with this little reminder and take a minute to connect with God during your day. To sign up to get your free daily thought from Jesus Calling, please visit JesusCalling.com daily dash email. That's jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now, where all books are sold.
2: During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com.
1: Today, we're also delighted to host Dave and Ann Wilson on the show. Dave has been the chaplain for the NFL's Detroit Lions since 1985, and along with his wife Anne, the two planted a church in the Detroit area called Kensington Church. As they were building their young family and new church, Dave and Ann seemed to be living the life of their dreams until their 10th anniversary. Anne made a revelation that put their marriage into a spin and would forever change their relationship.
3: Hi, this is Dave Wilson. I uh, help lead a church up in the Detroit, Michigan area called Kensington Church.
2: I'm Anne Wilson. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. We've got three sons who are all married and we've got, it will be four grandkids in a couple days.
3: Yep, we're waiting with bated breath.
2: And we also, um, we do a lot of speaking about marriage, because we haven't had a perfect marriage, and that gives us something to speak about.
3: And now we're authors, honey. We're authors. Oh, there there you go. Well, Ann and I grew up in the same hometown of Finley, Ohio, and uh, actually, Ann's father was my baseball coach in high school. Her, uh, her brother was my offensive center. I was the quarterback. He was the center. And Dave was and is three
2: years older than I am, and so growing up when you're in high school and junior high, that's a big difference. Um, and honestly, I thought Dave Wilson was the most conceited, arrogant guy I had ever met. And um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but um, my sister was older than I was, and she came home after she'd been married, and I was 16, and she said, "Anne." Um, I found out how we can have eternal life. And I gave my life to Jesus and didn't know anybody else that were followers of Christ. And so I started going to church on my own and reading the Bible on my own. And then when I was a senior in high school, Dave Wilson um, was home from college, and he was like the big stud around our hometown because he was a college quarterback. And He was home and all these girls came up and said, oh my gosh, Dave Wilson's in the gym playing basketball. Then they said, hey, did you know that Dave Wilson is a Christian now? And I
3: was like, what? The long story short is I had achieved everything I had dreamed of on a football field and had a scholarship and I was empty. I couldn't believe I just led the nation in passing percentage at my college and uh, I was empty and I couldn't understand it. And I went back to sort of my roots of growing up in a church, and I started wondering if Jesus really was the missing piece of my life. I'm sort of a skeptic, so I had to go on a journey to find out if this story and the Bible was even reliable and true. And I decided, if you do your homework, you're overwhelmed by the evidence that says this really did happen. And Jesus died for me, forgave me, rose from the dead to give me a, a new life and power. And so I gave my life to Jesus.
2: So I went up to him in the gym and I said, "So is it true you you actually gave your life to Jesus?" <laughs> so that was that was kind of the beginning. We started off as friends, and then that led to more romance and we were married about a year later.
3: We've been married 38 years now. I always thought that I would want to play in the NFL or my dad was an airline pilot. I just thought it was about money and being successful, and the more we grew in Christ, the more we realized, "Wow, we want to use our lives to extend the kingdom of God in any way we can." Um, I actually got an offer to play for the Cincinnati Bengals as a free agent offer, and yeah, I looked at that, and we were like, "I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to use what God's done in our lives to reach other people." God took us on a journey where we went to seminary, and I got a master's of divinity, and. While I was at school, I sort of got a new vision for how God could use the church and sort of gave us a dream to help start a church that would reach men far from God, unchurched men. And so we moved to Detroit, really to be the Detroit Lions chaplain. That's when that started back in 1985. But we also knew that God would hopefully use us and we could start a church for unchurched men, and that's why we started Kensington in 1990. You know, within a year, we were at a thousand, fifteen hundred people attending on the weekend, and then that grew to that grew to five thousand, and then ten thousand. It just, God really, really blessed it, uh, sort of quickly and sort of overwhelmed us. And I got lost in just working and working and working to help uh, build this church, and at the same time. I was still doing the Detroit Lions ministry, which meant I'm on the road with the team. We're leading Bible studies during the week. There's a lot of hours that I was away from home and had no idea really how uh, my life was affecting Anne and our boys and being a family, uh, really a family on mission.
2: When we started Kensington, we already had two kids that were three and one, and I was pregnant with our third And um, it was all consuming. And honestly, Dave was fulfilling this dream and this call. I felt like we were both called. But as a mom, I kind of felt left in the dust. And I was frustrated, I think, in terms of time and the energy Dave was bringing into our marriage. So it really created a rift in our relationship.
3: And and an interesting thing is, I would have told you at that time, our marriage is great. I would have told you, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, we're a, a 10. If not a 10, we're a 9.8. And my wife probably thinks the exact same thing. I was clueless. Which, by the way, I would have said we are a
2: one, but probably closer to a 0. 0.5. And the fact that Dave didn't know that made me even more angry because he had no idea how bad we were doing.
3: So we, we end up on a date uh, that I planned for our 10-year anniversary, which was just a few months before we were going to open our weekend doors for the church. So we had a great night. I mean, I, had, I got us a, you know dinner at a really nice restaurant. I had 10 roses brought to the table one by one. So I'd look at the waiter, and he'd bring one rose, and we'd talk about year one, and then he brought a second rose, we talked about year two, and all the way up to ten roses in ten years. And you were killing it. That night was pretty amazing, and he had
2: gone all out in making this night awesome.
3: So we're, we're driving home, and I had another surprise, which was to pull into the parking lot of the middle school that we had just signed a contract to rent to start our church. It was in this local middle school and Anne hadn't seen this middle school. So I'm like, I'm gonna show her this is where we're gonna start Kensington. And then I thought it'd be fun to just park. If you know what I mean by parking. We're in the front seat of a Honda Accord. So I lean over to kiss Anne and she turns away from me. And I initially thought she didn't realize I was trying to kiss her. So I paused for a second and then I tried to kiss her again and she definitely turned her head. And so I asked that question no guy ever wants to ask, but I asked it, I said, is something wrong? And, you
2: know, Dave had just put on this amazing evening. And so I didn't want to go there and say there was something wrong. And so I just lied (laughs) and I said, no, it's okay. I thought I'll just get to it later. And so then he tried to kiss me again. And I was just like, "Ugh, I don't even want to go there. And I was quiet for a few minutes. And then I just said, I have totally lost all my feelings for you. I have nothing, nothing. And um, I thought, and we had been fighting, you know, I would say things to Dave, like, you're leaving again? You know, I'm going to put the boys to bed by myself again. Okay, see you, great. And that's that's our communication about it. I was angry, he'd get angry, but this time I told him, like, I've lost everything, and I – I just I didn't even know where we could go from that point because I started out really angry and then my anger turned to bitterness and then my bitterness turned to resentment. And pretty soon I didn't even care that he was gone. And I had no idea what Dave would say about that. I assumed he'd get angry and say that he was home.
3: Yeah. In fact, when she was sharing what she was feeling, I my first instinct was to reach in the backseat. I actually did reach into the backseat to grab my my weekly planner and proved to her that I was home more than she was saying and that's what I often did when we argued is I just proved her wrong and so it's, I mean I literally turned she didn't know I was doing this but I turned to grab my day planner and as I turned I had this unique experience it's only happened a few times in my life but I, I, I heard the voice of God and it wasn't an audible voice it was just you know The Holy Spirit of God lives in me, lives in anybody that's a follower of Christ. And he said, shut up. Don't touch that planner. Just listen. I never did touch my planner. I just brought my arm back and I listened. And, you know, Ann just shared with you what she said. And so I heard her talking about me being gone and starting this church and how it made her feel. And then I heard it again. I heard God say one more word. And it was just one word. And it was just simply this, repent, repent. I knew when God said, repent, he was saying this, you are lukewarm. You you haven't been intimate with me in months. If almost a year you've been running to this thing and running to that thing. The last time you opened the Bible was not to meet with me and let me love you. You open the Bible for one reason only, and that's to get a sermon to give to people so that they can say you're amazing. And you're just running from one thing to another. If you don't repent and put me first, this marriage thing's never gonna work. In other words, the is not gonna work unless the vertical is in place. So when she finished, I just looked at her and said, I said, We need to talk and I want to hear more of what you feel, but before we do that, I've got to do something. You don't need to do this, but I need to do this. And I needed to get on my knees in the front seat of a Honda Accord and repent, and that's what I did. <laughs> to, to this day, I don't know how I got on my knees in the driver's seat. I turned around, and the steering wheel was in my back, and I, I just simply prayed out loud.
2: And it was amazing. Um, I didn't expect him to do that. And um, I love Proverbs because it's a gentle answer turns away wrath. Dave answered gently and he did that. I was so convicted. And it was almost as if God was saying to me, Ann, you've been trying to find your life, your happiness through your husband. It's almost like he had become and my marriage had become an idol, thinking if Dave would get it together and he would love me and be home more and be the dad that I want him to be, then I would be happy. But I am the one that fills you up and gives you purpose and meaning. And so as Dave was still on his knees, I did the exact same thing. I got on my knees in the car and I put my forearms and my head in that seat. And I just said, God, I have made my marriage and my husband an idol. And I put you back on the throne of my life. And I again give you total control of it. And I confess that I just haven't put you first. And I put you first now and make our marriage and our family what you want it to be. It was a defining moment for our marriage and our lives.
3: That night when she said that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's the best thing ever happened in my life. Oh, my gosh. If I lose her and I lose this, I lose everything. And it's more important than anything else I'm doing. And so we kind of put
2: some things in place that could help us restore our marriage, my feelings, our relationship. And so we've always dated. But as we went out on our dates this time, Dave did something that I felt like was really brave. He said, hey, okay, now tell me on a scale of one to 10, how are we this week? Isn't that good? It's so brave because he knew if I was at a 0.5, he knew I wasn't going to be instantly at a 10. But he would say things like, "Um, what's this going to look like to get us back? And I thought it was so humble that just that alone, I felt like that is so helpful in any marriage for someone to be humble enough to say, what can I do? We started changing our schedule. Dave started saying no to things. We started being more intentional about how we were spending our time. I felt like my prayer was, Jesus, show me who Dave is in your eyes and show me how to love him and respect him the way you want me to do. And that wasn't easy because I was angry at first, but I felt like— It was almost like instead of putting a magnifying glass on the weaknesses and the things that He wasn't doing, I felt like God gave me new eyes to see Him and the things that He was doing and to complement those things. I think if, as we were going through this, if I would have stopped to say, Jesus, what are you saying to me about my marriage? I think if I would have stopped just to listen, He's always wanting to answer. And I think that's the thing of what Jesus Calling has done for all of us. As we turn a page and we're going through something that day, it just reminds us that Jesus wants to talk to us about our situation because He intimately loves us so much. And I think that's why Jesus Calling has been so popular and people are seeking it. And it's been going on for years because we all long to hear His voice And He wants to talk to us because He lives in us and He loves us. This is from Jesus Always, January 29th. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I don't expect perfection in this pursuit. It's not about that at all. It's the effort itself that pleases me. When you keep on seeking me, even though it's so difficult. Actually, the intensity of this challenging search blesses you. As you strive to find me in your moments, your focus is on me. While you trudge toward me through countless distractions, your awareness of me increases. Even if you don't feel close to me, you find yourself communicating with me. So there is a sense in which your efforts to find me are self-fulfilling. I am richly present in your striving. As a result, you feel more alive, more awake and real, when you are actively pursuing me your willingness to pour yourself into this glorious quest delights my heart this joyful journey is all about perseverance as long as you continue seeking me you are on the right path moreover your success is certain i will be found by you god is always pursuing us he always wants relationship with us and as our relationship with him just becomes more beautiful and intimate, that affects every single area of our lives. I think what I realized I started doing was the more I started concentrating on Dave, I was consumed with him. And the more I would concentrate on God, I was consumed with him. Does that make sense? It's almost like I reestablished my everyday relationship of talking to him continually, of surrendering, confessing as it came instead of letting things build up. And I feel like in time, my feelings for him came all the way back to a 10. And I feel like that was only because of God's mercy, grace, but also putting it into practice of my walk with God, like really, fighting for it, and making it a priority.
3: Almost every marriage I know, at some point, we're disappointed in our spouse. They don't give us or do for us what we thought they would do. We're not as happy or we're disappointed. And so we think we married the wrong person. If we get the right person, then we'll find that, that romance and that happiness and that joy we thought we'd get. And what, what we discovered is you didn't marry the wrong person. You're looking in the wrong place. Only God can give you what you're really looking for. When you find that through your relationship with Jesus, he fills you up to a place where you come back to your marriage now, not to get, but to give, because you got something to give. It's an overflow of what God has given you. Man, that's what vertical marriage is all about. If you pursue Jesus first vertically, he gives you life that you bring into your marriage. And it just changes every aspect of not just marriage, but your whole life, but it definitely applies to your relationship. Pursue him first, pursue your spouse second, and you will come alive again.
1: To learn more about Dave and Anne's book, Vertical Marriage, please visit com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with Jeremy Coward, an award-winning photographer and entrepreneur whose life mission is to explore the intersection of creativity and empathy. He speaks about our selfie culture when it comes to photos on social media and how he'd like to see more good being pictured online.
3: It seems like every Instagram account these days is pictures of people like selfies or portraits of themselves or acting like they're, you know, everybody basically trying to become a lifestyle personality. I think there's just danger in that and becoming so obsessed with ourselves and the way we look and the story we're telling that None of that is true, and none of that is real life. And so I just crave to to see more um, people f- trying to f- help with their their tools, use their accounts to to do good things, to um, showcase others, to tell other stories. I and mean, we, we can't get enough of that.
1: Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live.